This is a disclaimer. Ben and I do not actually believe or support these conspiracy theories. Now, on to your regularly scheduled programming. Hey, welcome to the Frog here, just on a conspiracy theory podcast. And today we'll be talking about Jurassic Park in Australia. Yeah! <laughs> so that was extremely loud. I'm going to have to edit that out in post. Oh. Or not the current voice, just like that. You see in Jurassic Park where they use the frog DNA? They use my DNA. On the dinosaurs. I killed a man. <laughs> um, welcome back to the Conspiracy <laughs> Talk podcast. That was an interesting thing. We're in season two now. Yeah. It's been we've been we've been doing this for a year. We've been doing it for a year. Our anniversary was on the I believe twenty eighth of March. Yay! So along with season two comes some new changes. We did put our new website up. Um, we are available on like all the platforms that we can get on currently, and we. We might be doing an AMA in the near future, so... I feel like we should put a deadline for that. Yeah, we probably should. Uh, like, do a month ahead of time, just like, this date. Yeah. And then put our email in the description of the podcast. Yeah, the email's in the description of most of the podcasts, with the exception of the first three. Um, that's pretty much all the changes. We've got, like, all of our Anchor stuff transferred over onto a hard drive, so if we lose it, it's there. All right. Yeah, hopefully you don't lose an episode like that one time. Yeah, we lost an episode last, what was it, September? Yeah, whenever, yeah, I heard that, that was whenever your computer was having problems, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason why it took a while to upload the episode that had our guest Ethan Klein on it. Yeah. Alright, first topic for the day, Ben. Living dinosaurs in Australia, what's your take on this? Jurassic Park. But not just an island, it's the whole entire country of Australia. Well, wasn't, like, Isla Nublar, or Nubar, or whatever, like, wasn't that its own country, or was it just... I think it was an island off of Costa Rica in the Jurassic Park novel and movie. Well, I'm moving there. <laughs> Alright, so... Let's have you read the novel or no? I have. I've also read Dragon Teeth, which is pretty good. What's Dragon Teeth? It's um, another book by Michael Crichton. Oh, nice. I did not know you'd like Michael Crichton also. Uh, he's pretty good. I feel like you'd have good conversations with my father now. <laughs> Okay, so like this is the in our in our topic list. It's called the Australian rapper or raptor, not the Australian rapper. I feel like there's multiple of those. There's probably multiple of those. No any rappers from Australia, but I'm sure someone's going to be telling me soon here I mean, in a minute. We talked with a rapper about Australia. Yeah. Shout out Xander. What's his rap name? I have no idea. Should we should it's we also link his Spotify? We should probably do that. Yeah. In Australia, there have been accounts of living dinosaurs, specifically in the, what does that say, Darling Downs? Yeah. A farming region in southeast Queensland. Farmers have reported strange noises, which some, is that cryptozoologists? Yeah. In case if you guys were wondering, we were reading off the Cryptids fandom page. Cryptidsfandom.com. Cryptids with a Z. Yeah. Uh, Yay! They've been tied to the ortho- ornithopod dinosaur... We're going to butcher that name. Yeah. So let's skip it. Mudabrosaurus. It lived in what is now northeastern Australia sometime between 112 and 99.6 million years ago. Although a more realistic explanation for these sounds could be that people are hearing animals native to Australia, like wallabies and crocodiles, for example. Other dinosaur like cryptids in Australia include the. Does that say Burnjor? Burundjor, yeah, let's let's call that. Said to be living, a living prehistoric being theorized to be living in uh, Australoventilator or other mega cryptoid. Mega reptoid? Yeah, that. Alright, let's go down. I can't read. Oh, that's. Oh, so that's like that's an explanation. So, Uh. like, first of all, do koalas make noise? Yeah, that is a good question. Do koalas make a noise? Because, like, I mean, koalas are native to Australia. They're in a lot of forests. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, especially in farming regions, that they'd be hearing that. 
Yeah. And then, I know koalas are actually kind of somewhat dangerous. Yeah, you get chlamydia from this reminds me how male koalas produce unusually deep bellowing or grunting vocalizations due to a special sound producing organ not found in any other land mammal so they make other sounds including snarls, squeaks and screams how <laughs> terrifying would it be to walk out of your house like 3 o'clock in the morning let the dog out and you hear a koala screams <laughs> like is there a child in the woods this child woods, I hear that scream. I'm not going after it. Me either. Yeah, that's that's just like, honey, pack pack the heat. <laughs> Get, give me the gun. We're gonna need that. It's walking its way. Hurry up. It's all right. So like, it has six legs. <laughs> so like, especially like around here in Kansas. We have coyotes and foxes and dogs that'll all And the noise. occasional mountain lion. That's true. Recently in one of the bigger cities yeah. here. I, my father has seen one around here, actually. Like, uh, yeah. we, like we were driving up the viaduct over by my house. We, my parents have seen them. My dad actually took a cast of the foot. I mean, like, not, not the foot, but like footprint. The footprint, yeah. yeah. So, like, we've got similar animals to Australia. Mine is the giant spider. And the thing that wants to kill you really badly. What's is it? Is uh, things I meant things like multiple. Like we've got we've got some similar animals. We got some so scorpions like in some parts of the state. We have scorpions here. And, yeah, and I still remember county. how at Scout at Scout Ranch. I did you go to that? QSR. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that like they're like yeah you gotta be careful the scorpion around here once you get stung you won't die but it's gonna hurt all day. Like, down, like, by the the pond especially. Like, they'd lay in the sand. Yeah. Another thing I remember that there was a kid that... You know how bad ticks were over there? Yes. I heard that... There may have possibly been a kid in my troop that... One of our stone scouts might have had a tick. Made a bite. Crawled into that bite. Maybe died. Ooh. Or, like, somehow crawled into a pimple and died. <laughs> Just... Ooh. So, like, there's a there's a theory out there, and I don't want to get too far off topic, but there's a theory that ticks are secretly government microchipping devices. Like, they'll, like they scatter them in the trees and the grass, so they'll crawl on you and they'll bite you and they'll, like, steal your information. So how does that work? So not only do the birds work for the bourgeoisie, it's ticks that work for the bourgeoisie. Pretty much. The ticks, the ticks work for the government. We're all, we're all doomed. Mm. Been bitten by a tick? They've got your social security card. And now you have uh, Lyme disease. <laughs> Say goodbye to eating like delicious steak every weekend. Uh, Let's see, what's that? I had my grandparents get bit by a tick once an hour that they got some sort of sickness from it. It wasn't Lyme disease. I don't know. I think I had like re River or Creek in the name. And mm. Got them really sick. Ah, so like koalas scream. Look. There's, it's, so the third picture from the left, we're looking at a, like a little koala bear on the ground. Koalas aren't actually bears, they're marsupials. And like, it's got its mouth open and it's screaming. That would be, like, that'd be terrifying to see at night. Yeah. Like, it's crawling up to your porch and it's, it looks like that. Honey, get the shotgun, the weird creature on the, on the porch again! The demon is a bag. It took the dogs. <laughs> it took the dog as a hostage. It took the dog last time. You're not taking my family. So, so last night we were looking up at the sky. We saw a shooting star, which kind of brings us to our next topic. Which burnt up. Yeah. And, and then we also. Yeah. And then we also had a friend show up that kind of scared us. Oh yeah. Or scared me because we were talking about. We were like so kidnapping. Did, yeah, and just like we look over at it. They turned off their headlights. They yeah. shut off the engine. Yeah, I think, let's see. Yeah, they weren't trying to be mean or anything. I think they were just trying to be respectful. It's just they knew that we were talking. And just like, it's just like we were talking about kidnapping. We just look over and then this happens like, get in the car. <laughs> yeah, like last night we looked up the stars, which kind of brings us to our next topic, the Lost Cosmonauts. So, the Lost Cosmonauts, or Phantom Cosmonauts, are subjects of a conspiracy theory alleging that some Soviet cosmonauts went to outer space, but their existence has never been publicly acknowledged by either the Soviet 
or Russian space authorities. Proponents to the lost cosmonauts theory urged that Soviet Union it's attempt- hard, not urge. Oh, I can't read. Uh, attempted to launch human spaceflights before Yuri Gagarin's first spaceflight, and the cosmonauts on board died in those attempts. Well, I mean, like, back then, China was willing to sacrifice as many lives as it took. Yeah, and then, like, since this is Soviet Union, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that the communists have done that they have not acknowledged. Um, so it's probably like, how many people have we sent up there yet? I don't know, we lost count, none of them survived, that's... When we get one that survived, we can announce it to the world. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, because, like, countries censor what gets out. Yeah. Like, North Korea, they don't let anything in. Well, I just imagine, like, one day, just, on the International Space Station, suddenly, Russian cosmonaut floats by. Oh, like a... They just casually a drink... A 60-year-old body... Just, like, just drinking a lemonade <laughs> in a pouch. It's a like, pouch. or like their coffee in a pouch, because it's like, just, oh boy, it happened again. Who let Yuri out? Oh, that's the cosmonaut that has been out there for a while. Oh, yeah, we need contact. come inside. Have a blanket. No, it's like we need to contact the next, the next of kin if we can ID him. Well, like if you've been in space that long, and your suit loses pressure. First thing that's gonna happen is like all the moisture will start to boil off. Like your eyes, like the moisture in your eyes will boil off. You won't be able to taste anything. And then eventually, if you lose like all, like if you go complete vacuum, you lose all your entire body loses all moisture and you're basically spatially mummified. So when do you die? <laughs> um, you can survive on the moon without a helmet on for sixty seconds, but it's a long sixty seconds. Like, because it's painful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, your tongue completely dries up because all the moisture is just vacuum boiling off in this place. They just learned this with science. not like, hey, you know that one guy we don't like? Let's put him out there and see what happens. Well, no, I, I don't know how they figured this out, but it's pretty scary that they did. Mm. And, like, when you decompress, like, you depressurize a spaceship's airlock, do they? I, I've never understood this. Do they let air off into space, or do they suck it back into the cabin? I'm, I don't know. I mean, I know that with like sweat and urine, they recycle it so that way they can drink yeah. it. Yeah, it's just like the ISS has the uh, WTRS, which is the Waste Treatment and Recycling System. Okay. I feel like using the bathroom in space would be very awkward. Yeah, like they've got the cup that you put over yourself. To urinate. Oh boy. And then, like, it's a regular toilet, but it's a vacuum. Yeah. I, I'm also wondering how that works, since, like, doesn't wouldn't a lot of your digestive system and urinary system rely on gravity on Earth, so wouldn't that... Wouldn't they also... You have to adapt. Oh. There's an adaptation period. Okay. Good. Like, when Scott Kelly went to space for a year, mm. um, he had a twin on Earth, and they studied both oh, him yeah. and Scott Kelly. Scott Kelly couldn't walk for a while. Because he'd adapted to space. Mm. Like, isn't, like, his... I'm trying to think. Did his twin get paid for this experiment? They both did. Oh, nice. I take it one was already working with NASA and one just, like... Both of them were. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I forget what it's called, but his, like... His heart had some trouble in the beginning, but it got better. Mm. Um... His veins kind of like when he came back to Earth, they kind of shrunk. Mm, probably just because of gravity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they got better. Was this like a thing they were going to use this information for, for like in the future for a space flight? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they were looking into it for like future like moon colony missions and mm-hmm. Mars missions. Mm-hmm. Like his, his adaptation was to the point like he was up there for a year mm-hmm. or just shy of a year. His adaptation got to the point where, like, the muscles in his toes got massive because, like, he, like, in the space station, there are a lot of blue handles that you grab onto and then you put your feet under Mm. to keep yourself from floating away, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) 
you know what the Buran spacecraft is? This is another theory. No, I don't think so. Okay, so back when the space shuttle was first introduced, Russia built something similar called the Buran reusable vehicle. Mm. And it's exactly, a, it's a American space shuttle, but built in Russia and with different windows. Mm. Uh, only one was ever launched, and there's a total of three. One of them sitting in an abandoned, um, abandoned aerodrome in Kazakhstan, mm. and it was recently vandalized. The second one still in the same aerodrome, but it's completed, and the third is on display in a museum. Okay, so one's in a museum, one's in an abandoned and warehouse, and not finished. Yeah, and, and not finished. Okay, and then the one of them's finished and like still in the building, like ready to be rolled out. Okay, so like, what are they? Do they just keeping it stored for fun? Just like, hey, look at this kid. Well, it's a part of history, and so many people have cried out to like not do anything with them, and then people broke in, took all the electronics out, and sold them, mm. and um, like they're even taking like the thermal blanket paneling off the outside of the ship mm. and they recently vandalized it mm. yeah. huh. so that has nothing to do with lost cosmonauts Yep. but there is uh, another cosmonaut named Vladimir I don't know how to say that Vladimir double, double L Y U S H I N I probably mispronounced it so I can go but I'll take him here Let's see, he has been the subject of allegations to have landed off course and has been held by the Chinese government. The government of the Soviet Union has supposedly suppressed this information to prevent bad publicity during the height of the Cold War. The evidence cited to support lost cosmonaut theories is generally regarded as inconclusive, and several cases have been confirmed as hoaxes. In the 1980s, American journalist James Oberg researched space-related disasters in the Soviet Union, but found no evidence of these lost cosmonauts. Hopefully that's good. Since the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s, much previously researched information has been made available, including the information on Valentin Bondarenko. I feel like, I feel pretty proud, I feel like I said that correctly. <laughs> a would-be cosmonaut whose death during training on Earth was covered up by the Soviet government. Even with the availability of the published Soviet archival material in members, I mean, memorial... Memoirs. Yeah, memoirs of Russian space pioneers, no evidence has emerged to support the lost cos cosmonaut theories. Okay, so if there's no evidence, it's like the flat earth, it's the flat earth. <laughs> so if there's no evidence, no substantial evidence, that is, so why is this theory being kept around? Is it like. Maybe just because it's just cool to think about, or not really cool, just like. Strange. The Russian. Okay, so the Soviet Union was like very secretive, obviously, like most corrupt governments so like especially like the first man in space Alan Shepard from America yeah. like first American in space yeah and okay, then I think yeah then the first man in space was from Russia you're a good guy yeah let's show the cool down see if there's anything else uh there's a lot High altitude equipment tests. Well, that would that would that would kind of be space, but it's not because they don't pass the Kármán line, mm. which is, I believe, seventy nine miles up. Yeah, let's see. Purpose is that information leak. <coughs> December from nineteen fifty nine, an alleged high-ranking Czech communist leaked information about many purported unofficial space shots. Alexei Ladovsky, probably butchered that was mentioned as being launched inside a converted R-5A rocket. Three more names alleged cosmonauts claimed to have perished under similar circumstances were Andrei Mitkov, Sergei Shiborin, and Maria Gromova. And sound, the way I said Gromova sounds a lot, it sounded like I was saying your mother, but yeah. Your mom. My sister would be so proud of me. In December 1959, the Italian news agency Continentale that claims that a series of cosmonaut deaths on suborbital flights had been revealed by a high-ranking Czech communist. Czech communist, okay. I've been saying it wrong for so long. Continental identified the cosmonauts as Alexei Ladowski, Sorrenti Shriborn, and Andrei Mutkow, and Maria Gromova, 
No other evidence of Soviet suborbital crewed flights ever came to light. So, in the past, however many years since the space race, it's more than 60 at this yeah, point. When did the space race end? Was it technically... Uh, it started in the 60s, I think. Yeah, so did it technically end in the 80s, or technically end with the Soviet Union collapse? I think, I think it ended when we went to the moon. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. In 1969, when the uh, Apollo 11 mission was launched. Hmm. So, like, over the years, and I'm not sure what Russian testing standards are, Typically, I think that they're kind of unsafe if they're willing to risk the lives of their people to beat another country to space. Definitely not up to OSHA standards. No, definitely not. That's why there's RSAJ. <laughs> so, like, especially back in the 1960s when they were testing Soyuz rockets and, like, different kinds, um... Really, the technology, I don't really think has changed at all from the 60s to now because we're still using the same rocket platform or were before SpaceX's Crew Dragon. Mm. Like, we used to hitch rides on Soyuz rockets since the space shuttle program ended in 2011. And the technology for the boosters at least didn't seem to change. Mm. The interior of the capsule has changed some, like added sensors and um, controls, but really it's just all buttons and switches like it would have been back then, and they just use a little iPad to check off things off their checklist. And instead of developing a $1 million pen that'll work in space, they just used a pencil. <laughs> Wait, oh yeah, the Russians used pencil and then like... NASA developed a $1 million space pen. Yeah. Although I think I heard something about the pencil may actually, the little particles that come off the lead may be actually harmful. They might space be. And then, oh yeah, I heard that. Whenever you mentioned space shuttle, I immediately thought it's wise kids, you know, sketch, where like they're about to launch up in space during the rocket. And they're in the seats, and this guy's like, hold on, I got a snack. And he's just, like, trying to eat it and just falling on the field behind him. He's like, hold on, I got some milk. And then he's just like, Pours. Well, what I imagine is when you say that is, you know how, like, nature's, nature valley bars are, like, notoriously crumbly? <laughs> I imagine him trying to open that nature valley bar and it missing him and hitting the people behind him. And he's like, oh, darn. Here's another. Does the same thing. <laughs> That's another crumbly food. Uh... Ramen noodles. <laughs> when you don't cook them right. Yeah, you take off. Oh, imagine eating ramen noodles in space because there's moisture on them. Like, not like outside the spacecraft, but like inside the spacecraft, it'd just be like a floating head of hair. <laughs> I have a question. So, so, with like the astronaut ice cream stuff, are you supposed to add water to that or something? For because I never. I did. don't. Th I don't think so. I think. I think you can eat it just straight out of the packaging. I think that's what you're supposed to do. Like, look it up. Yeah. And so, it's literally just a block of... I don't know. I remember that I got it a couple times when I was younger, and it's just like, yay, ice cream! It's like, oh. Freeze-dried ice cream is also known as ice cream. You do not have to add water. Okay, so this is a theory we need to test. Maybe on the next episode. But we need to get some freeze-dried ice cream <laughs> and we need to add water to it to see what it does. Mm. Because like especially like freeze-dried food, it's essentially it's dehydrated, so like there's no water. And they have to rehydrate it. Like they'll hook the little pouch up to the water supply and they'll open the valve. How does that work? <laughs> like dehydrated chicken, mm. it 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 looks it looks gross. It's really flaky. Mm. Um, how do they make that back into chicken and not something you could crush up and probably do off a table? <laughs> that's that's kind of. What are you doing there? It's chicken, mom. Don't worry, it's not cocaine. Don't worry, it's chicken. Proceeds to do what Mr. Klubine did as a joke. I declare war on France. Well, I did make France France Revolution. <laughs> so, um, next topic is Stone Spheres of Costa Rica. And Ben, you know a little more about this than I do. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. because my mother already knew knew about this since she's been there since we've had some family that lives down there, and apparently she's heard about this, seen about this. I don't know if she's seen them out in the middle of a woods somewhere, but like, apparently they're in a museum. 
The Stone Spheres of Costa Rica, again, this is from the Wikipedia article. I was talking about the burp or something. Okay, so the Stone Spheres of Costa Rica are an assortment of over 300 petrospheres in Costa Rica on the Dequi Delta and the Isla del Cano. I probably said that wrong. Locally, they are also known as Bola de Pledra, literally stone balls. The spheres are commonly attributed to extinct Dequi culture, and they are sometimes referred to as Dequi spheres. They are best known stone. They are the best known stone sculptures of the Isthmo Colombian period. They are thought to have been placed in lines along the approach to house the houses of chiefs, but their exact significance remains uncertain. The Palmar Sur archaeological excavations are a series of excavations of site located in the southern portion of the country, known as the Dequi uh, Delta, and have centered on a site known as Finca 6, Farm 6. The archaeologists' findings date back to Aquabuna's period, 300 to 800 CE, which that means common era, so that'd be like AD, right? Yeah. And Chikira period, 800 to 1550 CE. In June 2014, the pre-Columbian chieftain settlements with stone spheres of the Dequi was added to the UNESCO list of World Heritage Sites. In July 2014, a project which had been proposed in 2011 to declare the spheres the national symbol of the country was approved. So these spheres are like... It's like what we have here in America. Our national bird is the bald eagle. eagle. Kansas State tree is the cottonwood tree. And the that's a Rock terrible. of Costa Rica is a stone sphere. Wait, the state tree of Kansas is a cottonwood tree. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible tree. Yeah, it gets everywhere. I remember that uh, working for my neighbors last year, or not just last year, the years before, the two years before that, I read that they said, do not park anything underneath the cottonwood, because they will fall on the columnist of days. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, it's that survive through a storm. That's cool. I think I can park somewhere underneath it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really bad if you like you lived in like a really nice neighborhood with a cottonwood tree right mm-hmm. next to your house. You're like, I think I'm gonna park my brand new sports car underneath it, <laughs> and like it's a completely calm day, blue sky, sun is shining, the birds are chirping, a fly lands on one of the branches, and the entire tree falls over and collapses on your house in the process. Also, <sighs> that'd be terrible. We had a Bradford pear in my backyard. For the longest time and it did something similar there was like no wind nothing one day and then all of a sudden three of the branches just fell out i remember one time i was in my house it was either late in the evening or early in the morning and it was storming out and i remember that there's a tree right next to the house i remember i sent me and my dad suddenly here just this loud crack and we look out in the side of the tree that's opposite to the house yeah, it didn't fall on the house, thankfully, but it was like, oh, hey, that's lucky. Yeah, it's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> okay, so the stone spheres, like, could this be something similar to the stone faces, on, or, like, the big stone statues on Easter Island? Mm. Or, like, Stonehenge? That Actually, there's a very interesting thing recently about Stonehenge, where they, like, it was on Reddit, that's where I found it. It's like a kind of a, a method for how they think that Stonehenge might, might have been built. Mm-hmm. And it was like this little wooden tool you can make out of a couple of sticks and some glue that basically lifted heavy materials. Mm-hmm. And I just I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But I want to see I want to see scientists do like a radar scan of the ground around it to see how deep these stones go. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if they go really deep, it's really old. Yeah. Alright, let's... Um... Description of the spheres range. Size from a few centimeters to over two meters. 6.6 feet in diameter and weigh up to 15 tons. Most are sculpted from gabbro, the coarse grained equivalent of basalt. There are a dozen or so made from a a shell-rich limestone and another dozen made from sandstone. They appear to have been made by hammering natural boulders with other rocks and polishing with sand. The degree of finishing the imprecision of working varies considerably. The gabbro came from sites in the hills several kilometers away from where the finished spheres are found, though some unfinished spheres remain in the hills. They are used for decoration. Like, 
especially here in America, we have, um, like, a lot of people have garden stones, which are... And garden gnomes. That too. But, like, they'll, like, especially my grandparents have these. They've got these little garden stones that they, it's a path through their garden. But it's semi-round spheres on some of them and completely flat on others. So could that, like, could this be, like, a marker for something similar? You mean, like, for people to step on? Just, like, cage to look through? Well, no, because, like, some, some of them are too far apart to do that. Unless mm. some of them have moved. Or someone's a giant. That's very possible. Giant se- Central America people. Confirmed. People with six-foot-long legs that can reach over, like, large Can't distance. wait to hear about the giant stories in Central America after we heard about the giant stories in the Middle East last... The... The Israeli giant, yeah. I don't think it was Israeli. I think it was, like, the uh, Afghan... I probably saw. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of the name, and I remember it started with I and I. So I remember that whenever we were talking about like, whenever I, you mentioned stones in your garden, I thought about stepping stones. This immediately made me think of at the old church I used to go to. There is this part, I guess, out in the parking lot. Do you know what church I'm talking about? That small square is this overhang, and there's these stepping stones. And I heard that whenever I'd go in those doors, which didn't happen often, or when I was bored. I remember that, or my family used to park over there when we still went there. I remember that every single time I'd walk on that path because I liked stepping on those stepping stones. Oh, so, like, that, that was there for decoration, I'm, I'm thinking. Yep, I remember that every single time I go there, I walk on them. You step on the stones. Yeah. It's a memory. Yeah. Or, like, a uh, muscle memory, that, that's the word. Well, I do it for fun because, like, oh, yeah, memories. Woo! Stand on the stones. Yeah, and then I also remember hiding. On little edges of the sidewalk. I mean, not sidewalk. Uh, where the windows are, because you could technically a little kid could technically just fit right there. I'm not gonna do that now because I don't want to accidentally break a really nice looking window, especially if it has artwork on it. Yeah, stained glass windows. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. The geographic setting, the archaeolo, the archaeologic. Ah, I'm gonna say it wrong. I can't say it. The site of Palmer Sur is located in the southern portion of Costa Rica known as the Dequi Delta and the southernmost part of Pontineras province. The Dequi Delta is defined as the alluvial plain with geographic boundaries of the Fila Rosera to the north and east, the Pacific Ocean to the west, and the Osa Mountains, comprising the southern boundary. So, could this kind of be like a country border type thing? I mean, with France and Belgium, Recently, oh, yeah, the former. farmer took a monument out of the ground that made Belgium a little bit bigger and France a little bit smaller, and the authorities got the ball <laughs> for both countries. <laughs> yeah, like, that's like, could that be something similar here, or like land boundaries? I guess. Although I'm thinking. around here, on well, like property, you can kind of tell where it is, especially if it's a farm field, because usually there's a stone, or not a stone, but like you. It just kind of edges up. In fact, let me get done saying a message for it. Yeah, like, um, down, my grandparents have a little bit of land down by the train tracks near here. And there's, like, a little stone, and then there's another stone on the other side of, like, the quarter mile property. And then there's another one and another one. So I'm thinking it might be property boundaries. Yeah. I read that one time when I was disking. I read that, uh, so this is like my first time, I guess, this is during my first year working with my neighbor. I was disking, and I heard that we're opening up the field, or like, we're opening up terraces, and I didn't know what the property boundary looked like. So I just was like, oh, let's go over here, because it looks like terrace, and I'm disking along. I was like, oh, I wonder why he's not over here, like, opening this up. And I realized, I'm in someone else's field right now. I'm just yeah. someone else's field. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Guess. Well, I mean, like, I don't, I didn't get trouble from it. Hopefully the person that was the neighbor to that field... Was, like, yay, free disking. He was like, huh, part of the opening up of the field's done. Weird. I must have done it in my sleep. <laughs> Although I remember after I told my parents about this, they're like, yeah, it's something you need to be careful about, because my mom's heard a story down like Oklahoma that some neighbor's just trying to be nice and friendly. Like, I'm going to go just that field for my friendly neighbor. That field is in CRP. In CRP. Like, in the C. R P. Uh oh. So that's like 
Yeah, you don't do that. Don't do that. And he's like, oh, crap. Just, yeah. just trying to help your neighbor, but instead you get them in trouble with the government. And you get in trouble, too. For... You get in trouble with the government, you know what you have to do. Yeah. All right. So this one is Georgia's Guiding Stone. I think I spelled yeah. that wrong. Have you ever just driving through Georgia and you see these gigantic stone structure? Might want to like write down the information on it just in case it is like post apocalyptic in case it is apocalyptic event that happens in the near future. Well, like, like in the article, some of the, what I read is it's it has ten different languages, six modern languages, and four uh, ancient manuscripted languages. So I don't know who put it there, but apparently it was done in the nineteen eighties. So like this this article is from ah uh, yes nineteen eighties. Cold War height of uh, you know the exciting part like good music, great movies, the uh, existential dread and fear of being wiped out by nuclear war at any moment. The world preparing for the Clinton administration. I was gonna say a joke, but then I realized it might not be podcast friendly. It's probably not. <laughs> All right, so oh, okay, so Google Chrome recently got Adobe Flash Player, so we're unable to the video but that's fine mm. all right so at this point this article is this is cnn.com so at this point this article is 10 years old exactly oh wow actually no this is technically 11 years old that's right it's 2021 so this is a 41 year old stone mystery. are you sure you still want to be 2020 john no i don't i don't want it to be 2021 either because covid restrictions while they have gotten more lax recently yeah. they're still known yeah. Pretty hard. Alright, Elberton, Georgia, CNN. In the beginning, there was the stone. The blue-gray. That just sounds like the beginning of the Bible. Open up your book. Open up your Bible to the book of CNN. <laughs> That's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> the the blue-gray vein of granite that courses through north, 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 northeastern Georgia spawned jobs in the quarries and finishing sheds of Elberton, where generations of stonecutters have turned slabs the rock the size of refrigerators into statues and tombstones and tiles. One day, it brought a visitor who gifted the town with a landmark that leaves visitors scratching their heads decades later, nearly 20, the nearly 20-foot-high 20 series of granite slabs known as the Georgia Guidestones are inscribed with a series of admonitions for future age of reason. Built as American Stonehenge, it is popular as astronomically complex a 120 ton relic of the cold war fears built to instruct survivors of an armageddon that mystery the mystery man feared was all too near so he paid for this because he was like oh the world's gonna get wiped out better better leave some things for the survivors hmm. and he wrote in six modern languages and four ancient manuscriptic languages who can read those? No Scholars. One, no one that I know here around here in um, in central Kansas knows how to read Hebrew. He, well, some people can read Hebrew. Oh, you know people right here that can read Hebrew? Not around here, no. but I know I know people. I can recognize read. Hebrew. Yeah. Because I still remember that one time we were at lunch. Someone put something in the group chat we had, and I just remember like, "Why is it in Hebrew?" And they're and they're like, "How did you recognize that so quickly?" I know exactly who you're talking about. The identity of the man who called himself R.C. Christian. What does R.C. mean? Remote, Remote control. control. <laughs> Remote control Christian. He's a robot. <laughs> it's a secret that Wyatt Martin, the banker who acted as his agent in Elberton, vows to take to his grave. He told me if you were to tell who put the money up for this, it wouldn't be a mystery anymore and no one would come and read it. That had to be part of the attraction. To get people to come and read his ten rules that he came up with, Martin said. What are the ten rules? Don't die. That's probably Rule one number one. one. Does it give the ten rules? Rule number two, don't drink the radioactive water. Rule number three, don't eat the glowing birds. You probably shouldn't. Oh. Okay, so... The Georgia Guidestones were in Wikipedia now. I'm looking for the rules. Okay, go ahead and read that. 
Okay, do you want me to read that a little bit before or just read the rules? Just read the rules. Rule number one. Maintain humanity under 500 million in proportional balance with nature. Number two. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Three. Unite humanity with a living new language. Number four. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Number five. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all the let, six. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Number seven. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Number eight. Balance personal rights with social duties. Number nine. Prize truth, beauty, love. Seek in harmony with the infinite. Number ten. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. What? It says it twice. Yeah. Also, uh, it's, it's in the thing up above. In the inscriptions. A message consisting of ten set of guidelines or principles, which we just read, is engraved on Georgia guidestones. In eight different languages, one language on each face of the four large upright stones, moving clockwise around the structure from due north. These languages are English, Spanish, Swahili. Hindi, Hebrew, oh, it is in Hebrew. Arabic, traditional Chinese, and Russian. That's crazy. Hmm. Like, I don't know anyone who like can read Hebrew fluently. Around here, at least. I feel like you might have to go to a Bible college. Maybe. Yeah. Um, what is Swahili? It's, it's a language. I know that, but like, where is it spoken? Um... Swahili, we can click on the link and it'll take us to uh, Bantu language and native language of the Swahili people. Okay. Well, it's spoken in Swahili then. Got it. Um, <laughs> it is lingua franca of the African Great Lakes region. Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, and some parts of Malawi, Somalia, Zambia, and Mozambique. Oh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Don't forget the Congo. Don't forget the DRC. If you do, it'll be war. Why? What experience have you had with DRC, Jonathan? Shh, shh. We don't need to tell my secrets. Is this, is this the thing that you know about how to get away with murder? Yes, exactly. Are you a sleeper agent for Con for the Congo? Shh, shh. Don't tell anyone. All right. So this brings us to our next topic. In relation with Nazis in the Nuremberg trials. Uh, I don't think this has anything to do with Nazis. It, it doesn't. just has the town. It's the 1561 celestial phenomenon over Nuremberg, Germany. Oh, look, it's a starry It's a starry night. Why is there a light? I'm being abducted. Why is, wait a minute. It's not night, it's the middle of the day. And then it just gets really dark again. <laughs> Let's see. A mass sighting of celestial phenomena or unidentified tide. I'm just going to stop reading today. UFOs occurred in 1561 above Nuremberg, then a free imperial city of the Holy Roman Empire. Which was neither Roman nor holy. According to history memes on Reddit. Oh, no. The... <laughs> The phenomenon has been interpreted by some modern UFO enthusiasts as an aerial battle of extraterrestrial origin. This view is mostly dismissed by skeptics and some re referencing Carl Jung's mid-20th century writings about the subject while others find the phenomenon is likely to be a sundial. Remember the 16 personalities test we both took? Yes. Carl Jung is the guy that came up with that. Well, came up with a theory behind that. Isn't he the one that did acid and came up with this? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think that's how he came up with it. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, reading this. I was like, hold on a second. Is this the same Carl Jordan? Like, oh, interesting. I, th I think he did acid. That's how he came up with it. I don't know. Well, Listen, kids, don't do acid or drugs to come up with the interesting scientific theories or music. That's how certain religions were born. Maybe right. And how some dogs act after eating some shrooms. What? Jehovah's Witness. That's how Jehovah's Witness is? No. <laughs> no, but, but some of their theories are out there. Yeah, they're pretty out there. Like how Jesus is supposedly uh, Michael the Archangel. Yeah. 
Whack. Yeah. I feel like it's a topic for another episode we could delve into. Uh, yeah, we could. Assuming we don't lose part of our audience. Oh, hopefully not. Yeah. Turns out we have a wide Jehovah's Witness following. It's only Jehovah's Witness. Time to criticize the Watchtower. <sighs> um, it's a... not scripture. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a broadsheet news article printed in April 1561 describes a mass sighting of celestial phenomena. The broad the broadsheet illustrated with a woodcutting engraving and text by Hans Glacier measured twenty six point two centimeters ten point three inches by thirty eight point oh centimeters fifteen inches. Uh, the document is archived in the Prince and Drunks collection at the I'm not even gonna try to say that, but it's a museum in Zurich, Switzerland. According to the broadsheet around Dawn on April 14th, 1561. Uh, what time of day is dawn, usually? Good morning. Okay, yeah, so we'll just... Okay. Back to reading what I was about to say before we carry off. Residents in Nuremberg saw what they described as an aerial battle, followed by appearance of a large black triangular object, and then a large crash outside the city. The broadsheet claims that witnesses observed hundreds of spheres, cylinders, and other odd-shaped objects that moved erratically overhead. So, like... There's a theory that this is a celestial battle with the sun's disapproving gaze upon it. <laughs> We're looking at a picture. He's very disappointed, like, not again, guys. It's like, oh, this just happened on Venus. You just destroyed Mars. Mm. So, like... I like to just imagine... I, I feel like just gonna... I think some people at the time, like, saw this as, like, possibly Judgment Day. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's like, well, boy, where's the wheelie boy? So, like... The, these By Wheelie Boy, I mean that one wheelie. The Archangel, yeah. Uh, I, actually, I don't know if there are... I don't... Actually, I... Th- yeah, not exactly sure which angels. It's... Is it... It's the Seraphim, Cherubim... I think it's Cherubim. There are the wheels upon wheels. Wheels upon wheels. Again, there's a reason why they say do not be afraid. Yeah, they look terrifying in biblical yeah. depictions. I don't know if I'd want to see one, or actually would want to see one. Yeah, okay. It'd be cool to see, but terrifying. Oh, yeah. I'd be hoping that I'm receiving a message. It's a message. You're overdue on your bill. We've been trying to contact you in your car's wars. Oh, no. <laughs> Do not be afraid. Your, ha- your celestial vehicle <laughs> requires a new warranty. You may be at risk of losing lots of money if we don't take this up. But, like, God, please be pranking me at the moment. I hope you're laughing in heaven. No, he was 100% serious. <laughs> Heaven's just a call center for the afterlife. Uh, so, like, these UFO things, like, it's showing uh, what I'm assuming to be bars between these circle things. So, are we to assume those are, like, lasers or weapons? I don't know. Medieval artwork is confusing part of the time. Uh, Why is there a Z on it? You can barely make it... Well, you can... Someone wrote... Oh, oh no, you're right. Maybe that stands for... Zurich, maybe? I don't know. I remember I looked at it and it's like, is that the same Z that's used on Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> it might be. Um, Secretly, so- this was a prequel to the Dragon Ball series. Yeah, that's what all the little orange balls are for. Yeah. So, like, it's showing smoke off to the right side. And, like, a, and like, a field. And, a, like, a, what I'm assuming is a small village. And there's also, like, a whole bunch of, like, crashed... UFOs over here. Or whatever it was. Whatever it was. Like right here. Yeah. A whole bunch of them. Let's see. What else do we need to read? Because we... Um, that's pretty much... Uh, the there's an appearance of a large black triangular object and then a large crash outside the city. I wonder how... Which s- that depicts. I wonder how similar this would be to the Phoenix Lights. I don't know. Because wasn't that also a large triangular mm-hmm. thing? Or in a triangular formation? The broadsheet describes objects of various shapes, including crosses. You read this already, didn't you? Wait. Including crosses, globes, two lunar crescents, a black spear, and tubular objects from which several smaller round objects emerged and darted around the sky at dawn. Dawn, not darn, but yeah. At darn. Yeah, so like. <sighs> scroll down, I think it's a little bit more. Let's see, phenomenon described. The text of the broadsheet can be translated as given the following description of the event. Do you want to read that? Go for it. In the morning of April 14th, 1561, at daybreak between 4 and 5 a.m., dreadful apparition occurred on the sun. The sun was up at 4 a.m. What kind of world is this? 
A dreadful apparition occurred on the sun, and then this was seen in Nuremberg, in the city, before the gates, and in the in the, the that's in the country. Yeah, by many men and women. At first, there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below, on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of darkly dull, partly black, ferocious color. Likewise, there stood on both sides, and as Taurus, about the sun, such blood-red ones and the other balls in large number, about three in a line and four in a square. Also, some alone. In between those globes, there were visible a few blood-red crosses, between which were blood-red stripes, becoming thicker to the rear and front, malleable like the rods of reed grass which were intermingled, among them two big rods, one on the right and one on the left. And within the small and big rods, there were three, also four more globes. These all started to fight among themselves, so that the globes, which were the first in the sun, flew out the ones standing on both sides. Thereafter, the globes standing outside the sun, and the small and large rods flew into the sun. Besides the globes, flew back and forth among themselves, and fought vehemently with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict in and again out of the sun was almost was the most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all, as said above, fell from the sun down upon the earth as if they all burned. And then they wasted away on earth with immense smoke. After all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick-sided. The shaft pointed to the east and pointed what, and the point pointed west. Whatever such signs means, God alone knows. Although we have seen shortly one after another many kinds of signs of the heavens, which are sent to us by the Almighty God, to bring us repentance, we still are, unfortunately, so ungrateful that we despise such high signs, miracles of God, that we speak of them with ridicule and discard them to the wind, in order that God may send us a frightening punishment, on account for our ungratefulness. After all, the God-fearing will by no means discard these signs, but will take it to the heart as a warning of their merciful Father in heaven will mend their lives and faithfully beg in God, and he may avert his wrath, including the well-deserved punishment on us, so that we may temporarily here and perpetually there live as his children. For it may, God grant us his help. Amen. By Hans Glaser, letter painter of Nuremberg. That was a lot. So, like, it said that they became so fatigued that they fell to the earth and wasted away in smoke. That'd be why there's no evidence. Yeah. Let's go down. Let's and again, there's never any evidence. There's modern interpretations. Let's see. According to author Jason Kalivita, the woodcut broadsheet became known in culture after being published in Carl Jung's 1958 book, Flying Saucers, and Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies, a book which analyzed the archetypical meaning of UFOs. Jung expressed a view that the spectacle was most likely a natural phenomenon, with religious and military interpretations overlying it. If the UFOs were living organisms, one would think of a swarm of insects rising with the sun, not to fight one another, but to mate and celebrate their marriage flight. Ah. Oh. A military interpretation would view the tubes as cannons and spheres as cannonballs, emphasize the black spearhead at the bottom of the scene. And religious own testimony that the glows fought gently until exhausted. A religious view would emphasize the crosses. Jung thinks the images of four globes coupled with black lines suggested cross-marriage quaternity, or whatever it says, and forms the model for a primitive cross-cousin marriage. He also posited that it could be individualization. Associated sunrise suggests the revelation of the light. You move the cursor to that way. Otto Billig made an effort to provide historical context for the apparition in his comments. He notes that Nuremberg was one of the most prestigious cities of the late Middle Ages, a free and imperial city known for its wealth and nobility. It tried to maintain neutrality between neutrality during the furious warring between Catholics and Protestants during the Reformation, but when one Protestant prince was rebuffed when he insisted on financial tributes to fund his battles, the city was besieged and its trade cut off. Though ultimately successful in defending itself, the rebuilding of fortifications in Nuremberg necessitated a new round of taxation. The city suffered good time, I mean, <laughs> suffered hard times in its aftermath. Good times. They suffered good times. 
On Good Friday, 1554, another siege happened, and one broad sheet publisher described mock sons that prognosticated God's will wanted confession of sinful ways. I.e., the victims brought it on themselves, another sky apparition followed, and the lie of knights fighting each other with fiery swords, thus warning a coming day of judgment. Very similar apparitions of knights fighting the skies were frequently reported during the Thirty Years' War, 1618-1648. Similar, similar broadsheets of wondrous signs exist in German and Swiss archives. Nuremberg seems to focus on a number of men, presumably because of the hardships and conflicts of the ex-prosperous, thus conditions typically accentuate apocalyptic thought. Huh. So this ties in with the, like, the apocalypse theories around the world thing. I guess, yeah. And then... Um, uh, yeah, this is our next topic, the 1566 Celestial Phenomenon of the yeah. I think I probably got both of these from the same article, to be honest. That's okay. Yeah, because I was like... I first heard about this, I think, on Ancient Aliens, for some reason, because... And then I got bored, looked it up, so, oh, it's just Wikipedia or it's about... So, like, from what I'm reading for the other events, like, it's just a, it's a single sentence, but it sounds like the same thing happened over Basil. Mm-hmm. So, it happened, what, five years apart? And it's showing something similar. Spheres mm -hmm. with a large triangular object. Yeah. And the sun. Yeah, I wonder what... Imagine this happened today. That would be scary. It'd be more detailed, though. That's true. We have uh, camera phones. Yeah, like... And Although the people would be like, it's the end of the world. But People said that during the coronavirus. Yeah, though. I know. We're still here. I know. Also, uh, don't get your Christian content from TikTok, because part of it is good, and then part of it is just, it's in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Oh, from ast like astrology TikTok and Christianity TikTok mixed together is terrible. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. They mix astrology with Christianity. That's Isn't that astrology a sin? I don't know. I mean, I know astronomy is an actual scientific field, and astrology is just like, what are you? I'm your a Your sun sign is a Leo with a cancer moon. And that means you'll die within five hours. <laughs> I took a sip of my coffee at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, the phenomenon described, I'm just going to skim through it right here. It happened three times on the 27th and 28th of July and on August 7th. Against the sunrise and sunset, we saw strange shapes in the sky above Basil. During the year 1566, on the 27th of July, the year of our Lord, after the sun had shone warm on the clear, bright skies, and then around 9 p.m., it suddenly took a different shape and color. First, the sun lost all its radiance. That's kind of consistent with the, like, um, especially with locusts, like, they block out the sun. Mm. Uh, the sun lost all its radiance and luster, and it was no bigger than a full moon, and it seemed to weep tears of blood, and the air behind him went dark. Oh, my my thought like maybe a solar flare. They looked mm -hmm. up at it, it damaged their eyes maybe. Oh wow, guys, look at the sun. Where is everybody? It's dark. <laughs> Your eyes sizzle. Um, assuming an almost blood red color in the sky. The next day, Sunday, the sun rose at about six o'clock, and slept with the same appearance it had when it was lying before. He lit the house, the streets, and out around as if everything was blood red and fiery. At the dawn, beginning of the day, on August 7th, the day after my birthday, we saw large black spheres coming and going with great speed and, precip and precipitation before the sun and chattered as if they led a fight. Many of them were fiery red and soon crumbled and then extinguished. Maybe maybe they just watched, like, a meteor shower. Mm. Like a really bad meteor shower. <laughs> but in the day? Or well, if that. supernovas close enough to our galaxy explode, you can, they can be seen in the day. Oh, wow. Did I know that? Um, let's see. Yeah, it, this one also references 1561 celestial phenomenon of the Nuremberg. Yeah. Yeah, so like... Was God playing checkers in the sky with red and black uh, checker pieces? <laughs> Like, what can I do to mess with people on Earth today? I know, I'll, I'll, I'll play checkers in the sky. It's like, I, I, oh yeah, I need to remind some of these guys that Judgment Day is still coming up soon. Soon. No one knows the day or 
person does. And that's the Father in heaven? Mm-hmm. Taking that's God, but yeah. The Trinity is hard to explain. God had three in one. Yeah. Father, Spirit, and Son. Yeah. Alright, so... I, I remember that I found this video on YouTube, and it's basically... explains the Trinity in a funny way. And it's like, no, Patrick, that's a certain, certain heresy! I'm just, I'm reminded of the videos of the guy in the night helmet. It's like, son, you've been reading heresy again. He takes the book and it says... Son, like, have you been reading heresy lately? Unacceptable. Yeah, that. Or when he's like, he's playing on the computer. And his, his father comes over and goes, not, not my son. And he cocks the <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> no, put the gun down! <laughs> That shows you a little bit of what our humor's like. Yeah. I mean, we're teenagers. It's going to be different than probably our parents' humor. I had tried... I remember that my dad, he'll... Every once in a while, he'll send me, like... Well, he'll tell me a meme. That's a very political meme. And it's like, I don't find this funny at all. Yeah. So I remember one time, I was like, You know what? I'm going to show you my humor. How did that go? I think some of it, he understood something. He was like, what? What in the world were you looking at? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get Monty Python, so. No, it's a shame. <laughs> yeah, so like, I think that's all we have. Yeah. All right. That's all for this episode. See y'all next time. Bye.